Welcome back to the And One Podcast. We're back now with Season 2, Episode 2. My name is Marco Andrew. I'll be your host. And I'm not alone today. I got my good buddy, Malik Cooper. And I haven't even talked to this dude in so long. I almost forgot his last name. I remembered it just last second. Malik, what's up? I'm good. I'm glad it's almost Christmas. Finally got some stuff happening around the NBA. Finals are over. So uh, it's a great time of the year. Yeah. And Malik, this is the first time I heard your voice in a fat minute, dude. I haven't talked to you in forever. Yeah, I haven't heard yours in a while either. But uh, <laughs> glad to be back on the And One yeah. podcast to talk yeah. some hoops. I'm excited, dude. I haven't talked hoops in a while. I mean, I've been I've been talking some high school hoops on other podcasts, but not not any NBA hoops some in a while. High school hoops. That's a whole nother area. I know, I know. And Iowa high school hoops. Go figure. Iowa out. high school hoops. <laughs> that is. <laughs> That's a little try hard for me. I don't know. You didn't know that was an actual thing, did you? No, that definitely not. <laughs> All right, so today we're going to start off with that Trevor Ariza deal. Um, Malik, do you want to kick it off? Since you're my guest, I'll let you go ahead and kick it off. All right, I sure will do that. Uh, Trevor Ariza plays for the mm-hmm. Washington Wizards now. I am not actually 100% sure why their front office elected to make that trade the only logic I can think of is that Kelly Oubre his contract is coming to an end soon with he would be a restricted free agent but I guess they just didn't want to pay him all that money because they got John Wall on a giant contract Bradley Beal on a giant contract Otto Porter on a giant contract so extending Kelly Oubre for what he's worth is probably not in their best interest but initially when I saw it, I was just like, y'all really just gave away a young, improving player for Trevor Ariza, who's the right. It's not going to make the Wizards much better. Right, right. So for those of you that don't know, the original trade was Ariza to Washington, Kelly Oubre to the Grizzlies, Austin Rivers, and Marshawn Brooks to the Suns, not Dylan Brooks, who the Suns initially thought that they were getting. That's why the trade fell through, which obviously, you know, big difference there between Marshawn and Dylan, as Dylan is in up-and-coming uh, good shooter. I mean, if he can stay healthy, he's a pretty good piece off the bench, I think. Uh, pretty athletic, good defense from Dylan Brooks. So, yeah, that, that trade fell through because the Suns thought they were getting Dylan, not Mar- or Yeah, Dylan, not Marshawn. So, I I, I think that, that Suns uh, co-GM, Trevor Buckstein, is, is an absolute idiot, and I think that he has nothing going for them. But you're telling me, Malik, that James Jones is their, like, is is also a co-GM. I thought that he was part of the – I thought that James Jones was part of the front office, but not, not the GM. Oh, no. Like, immediately after he retired, the Suns hired him in, like, an assistant general manager role. And, you know, their GM when he was hired was Ryan McDonough, and he got fired. So now it's uh, James Jones and the co-GM you just named, and they're actually running the Suns right now. Yeah, I, I knew that James Jones took up a front office job with Phoenix. I didn't know he was the assistant GM. That's pretty cool. But, yeah, that Trevor Buckstein guy, I mean, that old lady was talking crap on him at that meeting. Did you see that Instagram video? And, obviously, the Suns are just terrible. There was some dispute between Booker and, and uh, Aiden earlier this season. It's just everything seems to be going downhill for them. And then now they, now they have Kelly Oubre, who lit up our Celtics. That was pretty embarrassing. That was that sucked. very embarrassing to have that happen to us on our home court with Kelly Oubre pulling up on Tatum basically for game. But that falls more in line with like 
what I felt like the Suns were going to do at the start of the season. I was like, oh, they finally got a solid big in that paint. Right. DeAndre right. Ayton, and Devin Booker's there. And now um, they got Kelly. I thought the Suns were going to be so much better than they are, but they're like by far the worst team in the NBA. Oh, yeah. The Kings, we'll talk about them later. I don't want to get into it right now. We're going to talk about the Kings later. But sticking to the Suns topic, you were going to bring up their their drafting in recent years, Malik. I was. They uh, their lottery picks. They've liter- They've had the worst stretch of drafting I have just ever seen. Like it's not even funny the people that they've passed on and the people they've drafted over them. Alex Lynn doesn't even play for them anymore. He was their fifth overall pick and he's playing for the Hawks right now off the bench. They've just been making terrible selections. Dragon Bender is another top five pick that didn't pan out. Uh, I don't know if he's even still on the roster. I know they declined his option. Uh, So besides Devin Booker, the last eight lottery picks the Suns have drafted have been Josh Jackson, Dragon Bender, Georges Papagiannis, TJ Warren, Alex Lynn, Kendall Marshall, Markeith Morris, and Earl Clark, you a, a couple of guys on there we actually know and are serviceable NBA players. Yeah, but <laughs> they don't even have Marquise anymore, and uh, right. the rest of the guys are like you said. Ew, that's a perfect adjective right. there. I haven't heard the name Earl Clark in a while. I don't even know who that while. is. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I, I'm going to be honest. I we're both being honest here. Uh, I learned all these names um, from playing 2K over the years. I would play. I've been playing 2K since like 2K11, and I would play like every single day, as like for four months after it first came out. I'd get it, and I'd just play every single day, and going like playing tons of my league and like association back in the day. That's why I learned all these dudes' names. So that's how I know a guy like Earl Clark and Kendall Marshall, that left hand, left handed guy who ended up playing behind Steve Nash for the Lakers back in the day. Good, those are the good old days. Yeah, I um I know everybody on that list except for Earl Clark, but I psh, Earl Clark he might he's probably not even in the league anymore. But to continue the point, they've they've drafted all those people who casual fans won't even know, right? And they've passed on Kawhi, Giannis, Draymond, C.J. McCollum, Donovan Mitchell, Kuzma, Rudy Gobert, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Chris Middleton. So it's like you've had multiple 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 opportunities right. over the years to change the direction of your franchise with these franchise altering talents and they just they don't know how to draft it's that simple did they pick tj warren in the year that either Kawhi or Giannis were drafted what year I was tj warren drafted uh i that's one of my that's one of my biggest faults one of my biggest weaknesses and and being uh like a real nba fan is i don't know draft classes like I know, yeah. like I think 2011, Anthony Davis went number one, but That's 12. That is 12. See, I don't know, dude. I've <laughs> I've always always struggled with knowing what 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 year players were drafted. And other than that, I th- I think I'm I'm pretty set. But I've always struggled, and everyone else seems to have a really good understanding. But yeah, I I couldn't tell you. I can tell you for the stars, but like, or even for some of the trash players, like Alex Lynn was 2013. Okay, and or. Or you know what? That might have been 2014. You know what? It is like hard. It is hard. Yeah, it's hard. It really is. Anyway, if you want to move on, we're just screwing ourselves right now. We're just bullying um, the Suns, to be honest. <laughs> <It's fun. laughs> Shout out to my man, Austin Rivers, who was immediately cut. Right. Yeah, he was. He was. Just as soon as he got there, he pulled a mellow. 
dipped. So the Nuggets, uh, when we wrote up these notes, they were the first seed out West. I'm, I'm, I believe they still are. They're coming off a win against the Mavericks. So uh, the Nuggets are the first seed out West somehow. I don't. I didn't see this coming with this young squad. No Isaiah Thomas. No Michael Porter Jr. But uh, Malik, if you wanted to go ahead and kick us off with that. Uh, the Nuggets, I really didn't see – well, I didn't see any of this happening out West in general as far as, like, the Clippers being as good as they've been, the Nuggets jumping off the season, coming kick, coming out and being, like, the best team in the West record-wise. The Warriors are – the Thunder are, like, the only top four seed that I predicted that are, like, how I predicted they would. The Lakers are struggling. The Utah wasn't even the, the playoffs for mo- much of the season. The Rockets were the second worst team in the West for a little stretch. And I was just like, what even is going on here with James Harden not being in the playoffs, but the Kings are? Like, what am I looking at? Right, right. So, yeah, the Nuggets, they've always been a high-scoring team. They've been winning like 45 games these past couple of years off with that offense. But they're first off, they've been young. So the fact that this season they've improved tells me that they've grown. Some of the young players have grown. Jokic is coming into his own or whatever. Jamal Murray, he was drafted in 2016. I'm sure he's finally feeling comfortable as like the lead guard on that team. So the leader of that team, I would say, I think that even though Jokic is obviously the best player, I feel like in, in bucket center said this, uh, Caleb champion, I agree with him. Uh, that Jamal Murray is more of the alpha dog in Denver. And I think that I would agree with Jokic. I mean, it's, I'm not saying a center can't be the alpha dog, but it's just he doesn't really fit that role with the personality because as a leader, you got to be very passionate and you got to show it to the fans. And Jamal Murray definitely shows it a lot more than Jokic does. Jokic will – I mean, he can get that ball moving around. At, at seven foot tall, he can get that ball moving around. He's going to grab your boards. He's going to score. I mean, the dude can shoot at seven foot tall. But, I mean, he's not very passionate, and, and the fans got to see that. That's why Kobe was such a great leader is because he, he showed the fans how passionate he was about the game, that mama mentality, right? So even though Jokic is the clear-cut best player, I feel like Jamal Murray is the leader of that squad. Now that you present that to me, I actually agree because do you remember when uh, <clears throat> Jamal, we went on the road versus the Nuggets when we were back when we were, like, at 500, and – Jamal Murray just blew us up for like 48, 48. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as far as being the shot taker and when the pressure, the defense is on, who's going to get you out of it? Who's going to lead you back on your run? Right. Yeah. Jamal Murray yeah. is, the, uh, he's the guy for that team. I think Jokic's stats are more a product of them running the offense through him. Than, right. Right. You know, being the best player. And, and even late in games, I think Jamal Murray is the guy that should have the ball in his hands taking that final shot. I think that's just how it should go, and that's really how it went. Uh, Nuggets versus Celtics, they were just feeding him as they should. He was, And then that whole thing with Jalen Rose was saying, you know, if you don't want a guy to score 50 because Kyrie threw that ball, if you don't want a guy to score 50, don't let him score 48, right? I mean, Jamal Murray was doing his thing, and really <laughs> Jalen Rose was right. Shouldn't let Jamal Murray score 48 if you don't want him to score 50. I, I, that was that was awful. I, I I wouldn't have guessed that Jamal Murray would go out there and drop forty eight, but that it was it's really a statement year for him, being very underrated. Uh, after last season, he was he was really 
he was really overrated or he was really underrated. There was no in between. And I think that this is, you know, even though he's so young, was a definite statement year. And that 48 on Boston, the leader of the East up there with Toronto, was it just really shows that he's already coming into his own and he, he knows his role re- really well. So me being a Celtics fan, here's somebody's draft class I do know. Jamal Murray is the class 2016. But me being a Celtics fan, we picked Jalen Brown ahead of him. So I've always been watching his development. It's like, did we make the right decision? There? Right. Jalen's doing good and all that, but Jamal, as far as being the leader of the team, is doing yeah much. No disrespect, Jalen. I love you, Jalen. You, yeah. You're our best defender some nights. You've improved your handles and all that. He's developing. But Jamal Murray is just – he has the potential, I think, to – I think he's – I'm not going to say he has more star potential than Jalen Brown because he's bigger. So if he ever got the juice or whatever, he would be better just because right. he's – He's he's got the athleticism, so if you combine handles and shooting with that, then he'd be better. But right now, I think we can all agree Jamal Murray's better. And and I agree. Uh, just as a leader, leadership is is huge when determining you know who's who's a better player here. And I was at that fifty six point win, uh, Celtics versus Bulls, historic night for both teams. <laughs> um, Jalen Brown, watching him, he was able to really. It wasn't turning things around because the Celtics were walking all over. Uh, Chicago all night <clears throat> but Jalen Brown just watching him play he's definitely a guy that can provide spark he he dropped like 26 points off the bench definitely a guy that can come in and, and give you that spark and turn things around you know once he gets going he's he's gone but he's not a leader like Jamal Murray so yeah I would have to agree with you Jamal Murray is just the better player that's just how it is so one thing I will say about the Nuggets is I don't think that they'll keep this up maybe they'll finish like second or third but I'm pretty sure unless Draymond keeps shooting 18 percent from three I'm pretty sure the Warriors will take right. their spot back at some point maybe OKC because they're playing well Paul George is looking like the new best player on the team don't at me um I think those teams have more experience obviously I think the Thunder have something to prove after getting kicked out of the first round by a rookie all that, all those things come into play, and I think the Nuggets will finish somewhere between like three and five, but still good. Yeah, I, I agree a little bit there. I think that even it's it's around the thirty game mark here. I think that it's still a little early. I'm going to give the Nuggets probably like the four seed, honestly. And talking about, I'm I'm mostly about at this point because I'm sick and tired of GMs or whoever's making the decision. Uh, firing their head coaches so early in the season. And this is more of a topic for, like, through the first nine games of the season when we saw a couple of coaches get fired. Uh, like, the Wizards coach, is it Scott Brooks, I'm pretty sure? They were, like, they were like one and nine. And they were like, I don't know if we should fire Scott Brooks. Ten games through the season, are you serious? You're thinking about firing your coach? So I kind of tie that in with they're only being 30 out of the 82 games. 82 games in a season, you start off the season one and nine and you want to fire a coach. 82 games in a season, you're 30 games through. As young as this Nuggets team is, uh, the experience that they have and just the leadership, they're really, their leadership is in Jamal Murray's hands and, and Jokic is their best player with no real sidekick. I mean, it, it's there's no real sidekick in Denver. Jamal Murray is the leader, but I'm, I can't really put it into words. Like, I mean, Jokic is your best player. And and Murray's your leader. I just don't see him finishing out the season as a top two seed. And there's no way this team goes far in the playoffs. I don't see it at all. 
I definitely feel you on that. We, the, I think what you're trying to put into words is like the structure, the hierarchy of one, two with the teams that we see out West, right. like Paul George and Russell Westbrook, mm-hmm. Steph you. Curry and Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Chris Paul, LeBron and Kuzma, I guess now. Uh, yeah. yeah. Celtics. Donovan Mitchell in question mark. Right, right. Go Bear, <laughs> maybe if he's not getting ejected. Boston yeah, has Pat there's Tatum. always a set hierarchy. Toronto really is playing super well as a team, and that's why they're doing so well. And the Nuggets are, that's why they're doing so well. But when it comes playoff time, as much as you play well as a team, if you got inexperienced guys, the playoffs are a whole different story in every sport, not just basketball. Like, and I, I don't know if you watch much of the NFL, but I mean, the Patriots are a different breed in the NFL playoffs. I mean, playoffs is just a whole different atmosphere. So, as good as the Nuggets are doing right now, I see them. I see the the Thunder turning things around just like they are now, finishing in the top three. Warriors, I think, are going to finish in the top two. I think the Rockets are going to climb back up, maybe not into the top four. Uh, but I think I just I think the Nuggets are going to finish with that with that four seed, and especially later in the year, that West one through nine are all like one game behind each other late in the year in the Western Conference. That's how it always seems to be. So. Last thing I want to say on Denver real quick. In terms of, like, trying to win a championship, that's the goal, right? Right. I just don't think this team has enough right now. Jokic is good. Jamal Murray is good. Gary Harris is good. These are all good quality NBA players, but there's no one really to take them over the top against the teams we mentioned earlier. When you've got James Harden and Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant, who are going to take over that different playoff atmosphere that you mentioned just now. And I don't, I just can't see Jamal Murray and Jokic and that team, no matter how well coached or how well they're playing defense, like going into golden state and beating the warriors or something like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're, they're going to need more if they're going to compete in the future. Yeah, I, I agree. So next up, we got our Boston Celtics, Malik. Uh, we were on an eight-game win streak until we picked up a couple losses, first in Detroit, and then, like we mentioned earlier, the Phoenix Suns. It was fun while it lasted, I guess. But uh, It really was. Gotta, I was so high. You got a couple things to say here. I do. Um, during that stretch, like before, during the eight-game win streak, we had the highest field goal percentage in the NBA, and I think we've had the best defense all season. But, of course, that was also bolstered during the winning streak. We were just going out destroying teams, like, efficiently and constantly. I think the change for the Celtics, because they were playing 500 basketball before this, was Mm -hmm. Brad Stevens changing the starting lineup from – Kyrie, Jalen, Hayward, Tatum, and Horford switching out Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward for Marcus Morris and Marcus Smart. That, to me, provided – were you about to say something? No, no, no. No, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, that provided defense and intensity to me along with ball movement and the fact that you can say that the starting lineup we were using before, that was by far our most talented five-man unit. But when you put in Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris, that brings defensive intensity to mix with, like, Kyrie and Tatum's offense ability and Horford's ability to stretch the floor. And then you've got, like, a set hierarchy for your offense. It's not, oh, 
Jalen Brown wondering if he should take this guy off the dribble because uh, should I get Kyrie the ball or Tatum's open? You know, you just mm-hmm. – it's too hard to figure out the chemistry with that many offensive players on the court at one time. Right, right. And, and we – every NBA fan knew that with, you know, like, oh, well, there's so much hype around the Warriors, but how are they going to decide who gets the ball? And uh, with with Boston when they brought in Gordon Hayward and then they had just drafted Tatum. And then they switched out Avery Bradley for Marcus Morris. And they're like, okay, well, you know, Morris is kind of wanting the ball more over in Detroit. Now he's in Boston. Who's getting the ball there? Who's getting the more minutes now that they have 57 forwards in Boston, right? So, I mean, every NBA fan knew that this was going to be a struggle, who determining who gets the ball, when they get the ball, the, all that chemistry, like you said. And for me, watching the Celtics this season, I think that uh, going back to the rotation, their, their best starting five, especially if everyone's healthy come playoff time, their best starting five, the most efficient, would be Kyrie at the one, um, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Marcus Morris, and then Al Horford. And honestly, Daniel Tice has been playing tremendous. He's very underrated. I think he could definitely be like a six-man of the year if he kept it up. Uh, and then uh, Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward off the bench, that's pretty nice. Watching Gordon Hayward this season, he's definitely coming back. He's not 100% whatsoever. He should definitely come off the bench. And it sucks that we're paying him $30 million a year right now because that gruesome foot injury just, I mean, he's just not very fun to watch. It's not, it's not a whole, Marcus Morris is playing a hundred times better than Gordon Hayward this season. And I never thought I would have said that. And I was very, very sad when we traded Bradley for Marcus, but Marcus has been giving us 30 point nights left and right. And I would love to see him be an official starter. And we're only paying him $5 million this year, I believe. Yeah, uh, I just think the thing that threw a wrench in it is that no one expected Jason Tatum to be this good this early. I think the um, common notion was that he was going to come in, come off the bench, and sit behind the vets. But uh, you can tell me if you agree on this. He's just completely outperformed Gordon Hayward and all the other forwards on our team thus far. Tatum should never, ever, ever be less than the second-best player on the Celtics. If you want to say he's the first, I might call you crazy, depending on the night. But if anyone says at any point this season that Tatum is not the second, at least the second best player on the team, uh, on the Celtics squad this year, then then they're insane and they should stop watching basketball. Tatum is easily a top five small forward coming into the season. I had him at the fifth spot, and it was very there was a big argument on you know who whether him or Chris Middleton is is better, but. This season, this kid could definitely be a leader. He can score from anywhere. His step back, his fadeaway, he he plays like a vet. It's like it's like he's been playing with Dirk Nowitzki his entire life because he reminds me a lot of him, but a lot more athletic, very very slim. I think that if he bulked up and had like LeBron's body, I mean, it, it would just be it would be awesome if he could dominate like that, flying into the paint. But Tatum can shoot from anywhere. He is such a great – he could be such a great leader once he once he gets into his prime. And very athletic, like I said, that step back and that fade away is just perfect. It's just – yeah, Tatum is, is incredible. That's probably the most important thing also with the lineup change is that it allows Jason Tatum more breathing room to be himself. Right. Because as great as he is, he's not a playmaker. Like, That's I know true. he's in Brad Stevens' system – and Brad Stevens will make his players move the ball, but Jason Tatum is never probably going to average five, six assists a game. So moving out Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward allows him 
to come in and do what he does. He's got handles. He's got the fadeaway moves, like you said. He makes his jumpers off the dribble. He led the league in three-point shooting last season somehow for a stretch. He was top five by the end of the season, at least. So with him and Kyrie in there, and then you surround them with people that can shoot and play defense, that's just a very effective lineup. Yeah, watching Tatum this season, if he gets the ball, he's going to shoot it. Whether it's that, whether he's in the corner, he's going to take the three in the defender's eyes, or he's going to step back at the fade, or he's going to blow right by him because at six eight, he is very agile, very quick. I mean, he is he is pretty slim, but uh, light on his feet. This kid, when he gets the ball, he's going to shoot. So yeah, he's not going to be a an incredible playmaker, but that's what we got Kyrie for. So as long as Kyrie and Tatum are healthy come playoff time, I'm fine with Daniel Tice taking over Horford's spot, uh, you know, saying that Horford's injured because he's been injured most of the season. Uh, you know, if Marcus Morris is doing all right. If not, we have Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward. I mean, I, I, I would I would take an injured Al Horford and Gordon Hayward come playoff time, to be honest with you. As a Celtics fan saying that, I, I, I would take that. Just, just watching us this season, everyone's really fitting into their role really well. This is by far the deepest team I've seen us have. Like, we – we really, like, legitimately, if you look at it, go, like, 12 deep. Like, we didn't even say anything about Robert Williams yet. He's been – Oh, yeah. The little Robert time Williams. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's come in and he's had, like, three and five blocks in, like, eight minutes catching lobs. I was like, what? I think he was actually in at the end of the game last night. Really? So, okay. Yeah, yeah that, so he's, he's getting some playing time. That guy is crazy. If he gets the ball down low, he's dunking on you. He's he's blocking your shot. That, that guy's that guy's crazy. He's aggressive. Him and Marcus Morris at the four and the five is just. I would be scared to do anything. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty bad. Yeah. So our front court is actually super deep. So like you said, you'll take an injured Horford. Oh, Marcus yeah. Morris. You said Robert Williams, Tice, Aaron Baines. Just what did he do? Break his hand? He just yeah. He just broke his left hand. I'm pretty sure. Our front line is just as good as anybody's in the Eastern Conference right now. And with Tatum and Kyrie carrying the scoring load. And then I didn't even mention this. Jalen Brown, you said you were at that game where we beat the Bulls by 56. Mm-hmm. Jalen Brown coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. And this applies to Gordon Hayward too to a lesser extent. Jalen Brown coming off the bench, leading the second unit squad. Just like you let Tatum be himself. When you put in Marcus Smart, when you put Jalen Brown in the bench lineup with like Terry Rozier and all the other bench players, he can just go out and be his self. He was taking everything right. to the basket. He wasn't like, oh, should, should I take this catch and shoot jumper? Should I uh, go off the drill? He was just going out there playing basketball. And Shaq was comment, uh, complimenting him at the halftime report on Inside the NBA. Just like, you know what? He's actually just going to the rim being that aggressive player that he needs to be for such an athletic wing player. And I was like, you know what? It's a product of him coming off the bench. He's not sitting in the corner waiting for Kyrie to right. throw him the ball. And that's I, why I love his new role. Yeah, and that's why Terry Rozier did so well for us in the playoffs last season is because we needed Terry Rozier. And, and Terry said, okay. And he went out there and, and did as much as he could, brought us to game seven versus Cleveland and and – played awful in game seven. I mean, the entire Celtics team, if you don't remember, played really? awful in game seven, the most important game of the year. And, yeah, we blew that. But when we needed him the most, 
other than game seven, Terry Rozier stepped up because we needed him. And like that, that's, that goes for like you were saying with Brown and Tatum, if we need them, they can step up. Like you said, they like to do their own thing. And, and when they get on a roll, they're, they're, they're moving. Shout out to Terry Rozier for almost making Eric Bledsoe retire. <laughs> that was insane. He made my man turn around, look the other way. I was like, bro, were you watching that game where it was like Chris Middleton? Like we, Terry Rozier hit the three and we were up. And then it was like less than a second left on the And Chris clock. Middleton hit the three and put it in overtime. I was like, what? what's happening? Here? I saw that game. Yeah, I was watching that. I was like, no way. No way. I was no so upset. Like because I thought there was no way without Kyrie and Hayward we were going to beat Giannis and it happened. Right. Right. I yeah. I know I was afraid of of Giannis and then once we got up to the Sixers I was like I don't know are Ben Simmons and Embiid going to act like they have experience? No, they didn't. Uh but then yeah, then and last year our biggest threat was Cleveland and this year it's Toronto. Speaking of Toronto, unless you were going to say something about the last topic Malik, I was going to move on. I know I'm good. Speaking of Toronto, are the Raptors for real? They're 23 and eight, unless I'm unless they just picked up a recent win or loss. But they're 23 and eight, first in the East. Just beat Golden State without Kawhi. And I know that was a few days ago, but we wrote these notes up a few days ago. But they beat Golden State without Kawhi. They're seven and one without Kawhi Leonard. Are the Raptors for real, Malik? The Raptors are definitely for real. The Raptors are. They've been playing like the best team in the East. I can't even cap about that. Uh, Kyle Lowry, I've been hating on him his entire career, but he's playing well this season. He's been in more of a distributor's role. I think he's leading the NBA at 10 assists a game at the moment. So you combine that with how deep they are. Fred Van Vliet playing like a six-man of the year candidate. Pascal Siakam, you insert him into the starting lineup, which provides energy, defense, rebounding, athleticism, all that stuff, and then putting Serge Ibaka at center. So now your offense can do literally anything. You've got bigs in the paint with Valanchunas when he comes back. You've got pick-and-pop bigs with Siakam and Serge Ibaka that can shoot the three. You've got that all-world player to take you over the top with Kawhi Leonard and experienced backcourt players like Kyle Lowry. So I think the Raptors are just a well-oiled machine right now definitely built to destroy the regular season. I wouldn't be surprised if they win 60 games and come playoff time because of their versatility offensively and defensively. I'm just not sure how we'll match up. So if they go, if they, if the Raptors come out of the East, I won't be surprised. I'll put it that way. I, yeah, I agree. I, I hate to say it, but I do think that the Raptors have a better shot healthy uh, and Kyle Lowry playing like he should be I didn't know if you knew this but up to December 11th Kyle Lowry was averaging 3.8 points per game and was shooting 14 percent from the field Jesus yeah awful but I mean they play so good as a team as a team like I mentioned earlier that's why they're seven and one without their best player and really who we all thought was going to be their only player because Kyle Lowry was only declining we didn't think Danny Green was anything special we thought Serge Ibaka was mediocre Jonas Valanciunas didn't seem to be improving at all, and now he's now he's hurt. I think, um, but no, they're playing very well as a team. I, I agree. I think that they can definitely come out of the East. The question is, how far? And and to answer the question from earlier that I asked you, I do think they are for real. As I just said, I think they could come out of the East. Uh, or well, say, thinking. Okay, so are you saying you think they can come out of the East as and get the first seed, 
or come out of the East and make it to the championship? If I'm being quite honest, I think both. <laughs> okay, because my my question is here. I think that everyone is well aware that they can get the first seed in the East. My my question is, how far could they go in the playoffs? Assuming everyone's healthy, I mean, this is a new look team that usually doesn't always go down too well in the playoffs for you know a first year team because again, the playoffs are a different breed. And we saw last year the Cavs went, the, the Pacers took the Cavs to seven. And then the Cavs took the Celtics to seven, or the Celtics took the Cavs to seven, however you want to say that. And the Cavs ended up losing in five, four. Jesus, I can't even remember. I'm an awful NBA fan. Losing in four, yeah, losing in four to the Warriors. After being, after going to seven games uh, with, the, with the Indiana Pacers, I mean, the question is here, how far are the Raptors going to make it in the playoffs? And to be honest with you, I think that they'll get that first seed, but there's, I don't think they're going to get to the championship. So if I isolate every single team, I just think the Raptors work the best together. Now, if you want to say uh, Giannis has a chance to go in there and beat them in a seven-game series, I mean, I agree with you. Like it's close. Like I'm, I, I don't think they're the clear-cut favorite. I just, if there's anybody I pick to come out of the East, I'd say it's Toronto because they've got that versatility on both ends. So whatever hat they need to wear for the night defensive intensity uh get the ball down low making threes i just think they can mold their game to fit any style they need to to beat the other good teams in the east like i don't think the bucks for instance can handle if they have to change their style to face the sixers or something like that you know i think their um roster is just the most malleable to any situation right i agree and i think that the raptors defense is one of the best in the league and as they say you need you know, defense wins championships. But I think that if, if Milwaukee has uh, playoff Giannis, playoff Bledsoe, other than against the Celtics. Playoff Bledsoe. Uh, other than against the Celtics. That's hilarious. Other than against the Celtics. Playoff Middleton, that's a big one. Then this team can perform at a high level enough to beat the Raptors in the seven-game series. And now let's not forget the 76ers. Playoff Simmons, playoff Embiid, and now Jimmy Butler. If one well, point Embiid, Simmons. Okay, okay. That was one that was one game. Don't be one that guy. Seven. Don't be that guy, that Donovan Mitchell rookie of the year kind of guy that says, Oh, what about Ben Simmons one point? Oh yeah, I think he should have won rookie of the year. Okay, well that's a different topic. Let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> so then now we have if, if Joel Embiid will stop whining about, you know, having a having a lower role now with the Sixers, and we see playoff Ben Simmons besides the one point game, playoff Embiid. Embiid is an is a monster, right? And then now Jimmy Butler. This Sixers team, if they put it all together and they figure out something around the trade deadline to get better guards because, God, besides Jimmy Butler, they have terrible guards that cannot defend whatsoever, letting everything get past them. Uh, then, and especially, like I said, around the trade deadline, imagine if they get a moderate, I mean, a, a, an average point guard. I think that that Sixers team could definitely beat the Raptors in seven games. So First off. Don't ever come for my man Landry Shamit's life again. Yeah, he scored a career high seventeen. Sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, no, the Sixers definitely have talent. They added now they have three stars. So my issue with the every team in the East has an issue, except for the Raptors. To me, with us, the only thing holding us back is chemistry. We've got everything you could want on a roster. The Raptors don't have an issue either, but the Sixers. 
depth. They traded away their whole team. Oh yeah, for Jimmy Butler. So their backup forwards are freaking like Furkan Korkmaz, and yeah. backup bigs like Amir Johnson. God rest his NBA career from us. <laughs> um, Landry Shamit, TJ McConnell. So yeah, their starting lineup will destroy you, but they'll play. They're gonna have to play like forty minutes a game to win playoff games. Right, right. Bucks. Giannis still can't shoot. I don't care what anybody says. He might win MVP this year for all I care, but he still can't shoot. And that's like we beat him without Kyrie. That tells you that all you have to do is pack the paint against him. We did the same thing against Ben Simmons. Like those other teams are just flawed. I yeah, I, and I I agree. I I I don't have much else to say about the East playoffs. I think I really let everything out. I kind of covered all the top teams. Uh, also though the Pacers, like I mentioned earlier took the Cavs to seven games uh, last year, but Victor Oladipo hasn't done a whole lot. I know he's struggled with some injuries, but hasn't done a whole lot. We thought this Pacers team was turning things around after last year's uh, playoff series, but Pacers haven't done a whole lot this year. So I was I was going to move over to the West playoffs if that was cool with you or some West teams. Yeah, let's move on. All the right. East is wide open. All right, over to the West. Yeah, East is wide open. So the Rockets – uh, when we wrote down these notes, they were 13th in the West, which was like literally three days ago. But now the Rockets are seventh in the West. They're 16 and 14. They're seven and three in their last 10 games. James Harden will give you a triple double any given night. Chris Paul said James Harden was the best offensive player he's ever seen. Uh, they have a 30 point per game score in James Harden. They got two guys averaging two plus steals a game uh, in Harden and CP3. Capello is averaging two blocks a game along with 11 rebounds. Yeah, I don't – 11.7 rebounds, sorry. Couldn't read my own notes. And Houston has three guys shooting at least 37% from three, and they just set the NBA record for most threes in a game, all right? But they're 16 and 14. What, what What's the problem in Houston exactly? Are they turning things around? Do you see them finishing bottom four in the West, top four? What do you think, Malik? Houston's formula works, but it's just – redundant like they're literally if you take a three and d player and just apply it to an entire nba team that's what the rockets are so when they're not making shots and getting to the free throw line the entire night uh it trickles into their defense and they're just not a good team but at the same time when they're hitting shots and james harden is dropping 50 point triple doubles and everybody's involved then they're one of the best teams in the league and can play with everybody but I think the perfect um, way to describe it is what happened last year in the Western Conference Finals. So everything's going great. We've got the Warriors down 3-2. to two. Chris Paul gets hurt. Now all of a sudden you can't play the way you want to. You can't just run up and down. ISO James Harden expect everything to work. Uh, you're not making your three-pointers. They went like, what was it? one for 27 they had like the worst shooting night oh yeah in NBA history so I just think if that formula isn't in effect for them then they're they're just an average team to be honest right I, I agree they were an average team prior to this this hot streak they're kind of going on here and it's crazy to think that 50 point triple doubles still turn out in losses sometimes and that and we've seen that multiple times with the Rockets this season and James Harden I think that Chris Paul is definitely struggling more than he should be. I know he's getting old. I know they're paying him a ton of money, more than a lot of people thought he should be making. But, I mean, it, it was definitely high risk, high reward because he struggles with injuries and, and 
they didn't know they don't they didn't know if they wanted to pay him forty million at thirty eight years old, which is coming up in the near future now. But speaking on this season, if Chris Paul can get healthy and come playoff time, he can play as playoff Chris Paul. I mean, average at least a double double. I mean, give us sixteen and eleven CP three, and and let's see the Rockets top off the Warriors this year, unlike they should have last year. So I mean, it, hopefully they're turning things around. I don't really care who comes out of the West. I just don't want to see. I just don't want to see the Warriors, just because, you know, everyone just thinks that. Oh well, yeah, it's going to be the Warriors because they have five All Stars starting once Boogie comes back. Uh, and I, I, I like, I like the Rockets. I like, I like three point shooters and, and and crazy dunks, and they just set the NBA record for most threes in a game. So I would like Chris Paul to get back in the groove of things. I like Clint Capella. Um, never had a problem with James Harden. So I mean. I hope they, they can turn things around as, as they kind of have been. So uh, the narrative for a very long time with Houston was just that it was Trevor Ariza and Luke Mbamute, and losing those two guys just crippled the Houston Rockets. And it's not so much to me that they lost those guys. It's that it's who they replaced them with. Exactly. Like James Ennis. Uh, he's been a journeyman throughout his NBA career. I know they saw a wing player that can shoot threes, and they're like, oh, that'll work in our system. Right. But he doesn't have much experience on good teams. And then off the bench, I think Gerald Green is like their – well, Eric Gordon, I'm not going to say he won six man of the year. What am I talking about? But Gerald Green is their only serviceable, like, wing player off the bench. And then – I, I just don't respect their roster top to bottom as much as I do some of the other teams out right. west. I think they're kind of susceptible to having an off night more so than a deeper team would be. Right. Uh, they they replaced that good defense from Ariza and Bamute with mediocre offense with James Ennis, and then let's not forget about Melo, who now they can't blame anything on. When before this little hot streak they're going on, the they they were the they were, what did I say, the 13th seed in the West, the 12th seed in the West or whatever it was, 13th in the West. Uh, they can't blame it on Mello. Mello's gone. So they didn't really they didn't really know who to look towards and, and, and blame their, their faults on. And, and it was really weird seeing a, a number two seed last year end up, you know, third of the way through the season as a 13th seed. And, and they, they couldn't blame it on Mello. So uh, I like now that they're turning things around. And hopefully Mello, they say he might go to L.A. with the Lakers, team up with LeBron. I think that'd be a bad idea. I think they already have plenty of plenty of guys that want the ball over there, and I think Melo's just going to make it worse, but whatever. Yeah, last thing before uh, we move on that I wanted to say about the Rockets. In the NBA, to parallel it with other sports, in the NFL, it's kind of normal to see a team, like, win the Super Bowl and then be mediocre right. the next season, like – we saw the Panthers fall off recently. The uh, the Falcons fell off. The Eagles fell off after winning the last Super Bowl. Like it's okay to go to the Super Bowl and then be mediocre the next year in the NFL. Right. In the NBA, where it's so superstar driven, if you have stars, typically it's supposed to be that you're going to win. So I don't blame Houston for doubling down and like let me re-sign my best three players and everything else will work out. Right. Yeah, I think that the front office definitely had some 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 issues. I think Dan Tony's a great coach, but that front office definitely thought that 
things were going to work out with older players and and then they just blew it up and it made it a lot worse. Uh, but now over to the Clippers. They're six in the West, 17 and 13. They got five guys averaging at least 15 points per game. No players averaging even five assists per game. Lou Williams has 4.5. Uh, don't have a double-digit rebounder. Tobias Harris leads with 8.1 rebounds. And they're the sixth seed in the West. How? How, Malik? They're doing it by committee. That's just the best way I can put it. I mean, everything they're doing is by team. Like, they're scoring. Is Do they have a 20-point score? Is Tobias Harris averaging 20? No, I, I, I they don't. I mean, last time I checked, I think Tobias was averaging maybe 18. I know Lou Will is averaging like uh, 15, but I, I don't think they have a 20-point per game score. I think they they have five guys averaging at least 15, but the highest it goes is like 18.2 from Tobias. Yeah, so they're, now if you have five guys averaging 15, that's still a lot right, of points. Right. Well, you're still getting that production. It's yeah. just it's not the typical system where we're, you're, we're used to seeing uh, – okay, so our best player needs to average 25. Our second best player needs to get 15 to 20. And then everybody else on the team contribute where you can. No, it's everybody eat when you can. Take your opportunities. We're going to play team ball. We're going to play hard. We're going to play defense. We're going to rebound. Everybody, when you come in the game, just do your job. Because along with not no one averaging 20 points, I'm sure there's no one averaging like 36, 37 minutes a game either. Right. They're using everyone on their roster to their full, fullest capabilities. And I think um, those players are just relishing the opportunity to go out and show what they're worth. Right, right. Uh, kind of forgot what I was going to say, but if you would ask me uh, what what is going on over there in L.A. with the Clippers, I would have just plain said, I don't know. Prior to the season, prior to the season, I thought the Clippers were the Clippers? bottom three in the West, uh, as in like 13th, 14th, 15th seed down there with the Kings and, and the Suns. Really, truly thought they would have. It just the West, one through 10 being super talented, one through nine being super talented. And then looking at the Clippers having Lou Williams lead their squad, Tobias Harris was getting a lot of looks for being so young and improving. Uh, I mean, then they brought over Montrezl Harris. I mean, all guys that are really in their primes, I mean, they're all middle-aged guys, really. They don't – I mean, Tobias Harris is still, like, 24. But all guys that are really kind of in their primes and just looking at it from on paper prior to the season, I definitely didn't think they'd be where they were now. But, again, they're, they're playing as a team. Uh, they, they don't have any other choice because they don't have a star, but – I guess sixth in the West, that that will definitely not stick. I don't see the Clippers making the playoffs. So their front and their front front office turned over a couple of years ago, and I just think putting Jerry West back there to help with the brain trust and letting Doc Rivers focus on coaching, they got value in all those deals that ended the Lob City era. Like Montrez Harrell came over in that deal for Chris Paul. They traded Blake Griffin to the Pistons and got value back for him. They let DeAndre walk, but then they traded Austin Rivers for Marchand Gortat. That's their new starting center. And then the guy with the greatest player efficiency rating in NBA history, Bovon Marjanovic, coming off the bench. Right. So they have um, 
they did get return when they uh traded their stars. So I give them credit for uh actually staying basically where they were as far as the Western standings, even without those glamour names like Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. Right, right. And touching up on Boban, for those of you that don't know, Boban Marjanovic is statistically the most efficient player ever. Uh, top 10 in career PER, here's the list. Uh, player efficiency rating, for those of you that don't know, minimum 1,000 minutes played. Number one, Boban. He is ahead of guys like Michael Jordan, LeBron, AD, George Mike, and Shaq, David Robinson, Will, Chris Paul, and Kevin Durant. Boban Marjanovic, everybody. I don't even know where this guy came from, but he's just been well, Remember when he electric. showed up in San Antonio and we're like, holy cow, this guy's huge. And he's all right. He's mediocre. But now he's like actually a decent piece for, for L.A. Yeah, I mean, I there are people in the NBA that are going to be good just specifically because they're huge. I'll put it that way. Top, height is an asset in basketball. I know you have to be skilled, but when I see people like uh, Andre Drummond, DeAndre Jordan, Tristan Thompson, uh, people without much actual skill on the court. You're just there. Oh, I'm athletic enough right. to rebound and play defense with these guys. I'm just like, you know what? So being seven four is definitely an asset. Being able to dunk without <laughs> jumping, yeah. But I give Boban props for having a better player efficiency rating than Michael Jordan. Yeah, incredible. So. I'm ready to end off the day here with one last segment, Malik. Uh, Luka Doncic, playing at a very high level uh, for how young he is. I mean, he's a rookie. And honestly, surprised me just as much as the Clippers are surprised me. I thought that Doncic was going to be a bust, and he still could. It's just a rookie year. He could have a really bad sophomore slump. Like, you know, RG3 over in the NFL after his rookie year, he just is awful now. Uh I, I I just didn't really like European players making their way over the NBA and, and fans thinking that, you know, if they can light up the EuroLeague, then they can light up the NBA just as much. I Watching EuroLeague games, I just didn't see it. I, I it, was, I, it, was, it was just – I never saw anything trans, translating over. I know Doncic is a 6'8 guard, uh, and obviously with the size, he could shoot over a lot of other smaller guards, and he can grab rebounds if he's there, you know, if he's getting boxed out by another guard. But I never really saw a whole lot trans translating over, and he was pretty slow, to be honest with you. Uh, but playing a lot better than I thought, averaging 18 points per game, seven rebounds, four assists, 42% from the field, 36% from three, 78% from the free throw line. I, I honestly thought that he wouldn't be performing at this high of a level and really one of the top leaders over there in Dallas. And him and DSJ, looking at it right now, are going to be one of the best young uh, – or, well – come prime time when they're you know 28 29 if they're still around because there's been talk about dsj getting traded uh one of the best backcourts or, or is, is backcourt the guards or is that the forwards and centers are you saying is Doncic and dennis smith going to be one of the best backcourts yeah. going forward yeah I yeah yeah so. i agree with that um i think dennis smith and Luka Doncic definitely have the potential to lead the Mavericks to becoming like a perennial playoff team once they hit their primes. But on the subject of Doncic, I give him props because I I did really think that uh, DeAndre and Marvin Bagley and 
not Trey Young to a lesser extent, but him too. I think I thought they were all going to come in and just be better immediately because of the stereotype. Oh, they played um, NCAA ball. They've played against American talent, you know, McDonald's All-Americans. They've been seasoned and all that in America to play and perform well in the NBA. But if we really look at it, Doncic was uh, 19. I think he started playing uh, on the pro team that he won his MVP with when he was 17. But he's been playing against grown men since he was like, my age and performing well against them being the best player on a team of men and going out and leading them to a championship. And the thing I think has helped him most is that his, his, like you said, he's slow. So his game has never been predicated on athleticism. So when he got to the NBA, it wasn't like, Oh man, I can't jump with these guys. Right. Like I, I, um, it's actually more feasible to me that somebody like, DeAndre Ayton, who's always been the best physical athlete when he's playing basketball, would struggle in the NBA when you're facing DeAndre Jordan on one night, Rudy Gobert the next night, because you're not just by far the best athlete on the court anymore. Right, right. And Doncic started playing pro ball at, I think, 14 years old, which is very young. And I get that argument, you know. He had been playing pro ball for three or four years, been going up against professional basketball players, has that experience unlike those one and dones coming in Trey Young for example Aiden Bagley I'm pretty sure they were all freshmen coming in I thought Bagley would have performed much better this year or this far into the season he's he's not performing as as much of a high level as I thought he would but I I get the argument Doncic had been playing against professional basketball players but I never thought that the the Euro League professional basketball players were anywhere near as good as as the the talent we saw in the NCAA and a lot of people brought up the argument well the average Euro League player is better than the average NCAA player and obviously if I wanted to I could walk on at a D1 school and you know now that lessens the average player's talent because I'm awful at basketball right and (laughs) and over in a professional basketball basketball league right remember that even though I'm talking so much crap on how how bad these professional basketball players are Remember, obviously, they're just all mediocres. In college, you have a bunch of bums like me going out there walking on and thinking that, you know, you have like John Calipari's son, the man, the team <laughs> manager, gets to dress up and go in when they're, when they're up by 60, right? Clearly, at the end of the day, the average EuroLeague basketball player is better than the average NCAA basketball player. But just from what I saw, the, the top uh, – you know, Doncic was very successful in the EuroLeague. The top, the best EuroLeague players uh, came nowhere close to the top NCAA players. The leading scorer in the EuroLeague last year was Alexi Shved, if I remember correctly. Oh, my God. I remember Yes, him. Alexi oh, Shved. Are oh. you serious? And this oh, year we got man. guys like Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, two, two of which are on the same team. Those guys are both on one team in the entire nation of all great teams we have out there, right? I just never saw Doncic being able to to dominate guys in the NBA like he was dominating guys over in the EuroLeague. I was thinking, you know, he'd be an, a proficient player in the NCAA, but I never thought that he would be playing this good in the NBA. And I know it's nothing crazy. 18-7 and 4 is nothing crazy. He can't even hit 40% of his threes, 50% of his shots from the field. But I still thought that, you know, 
he wouldn't have been the next Manu. Or I heard this one time, the the best Maverick ever. The someone actually said before Doncic was even drafted that he was going, or at, right after he was drafted, sorry, that he was going to be the best Dallas Maverick ever. Uh, Dirk's making that a pretty tall task, but I, exactly. I give him a, I give him a shot to be honest. Uh, on back to the Euroleague thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's no way Marvin Bagley, DeAndre Ayton, Trey Young, and all those guys wouldn't go average 30 in the Euro League. Alexi Sved got cut from an NBA team. Like, he couldn't even make the cut right. in the NBA. He couldn't even, like, stay on a roster. So I completely get your point there. Uh, I think the Euro League players – I'm – with when with the Suns drafting such garbage over the past couple of years out of there, like Dragon Bender, like oh Dragon Bender's playing so well overseas, we're gonna bring him in here and he's gonna do just fine. So when you see stuff like that happen, I don't even blame them for thinking, okay, so we drafted Dragon Bender, he's averaging like three points a game. I don't know if we could take what this Luca guy is doing and like say it holds weight against NBA talent when there's been so many flops from the Euro League coming to the NBA. There's a couple. Pedro Stojakovic made the transition. Lucas made the transition. There are definitely some guys that can do it, but it's just not as surefire as, like, say, like, if I was an NBA GM and my job's on the line, I am 10 times out of 10 taking DeAndre Ayton over somebody from Europe. Exactly. That that was me, too. I, I just, I, I don't know. It was, it was weird for me. It's very hard to really decide, you know, how well a EuroLeague player is going to perform over in the NBA. We see it all the time. Like you said, Dragon Bender trying to come over, and, and he's he's not good at all. Uh, and, and back to saying Doncic could be the best Maverick ever. Looking at it now, it's not like you're crazy or you're stupid or you shouldn't even be an NBA fan if you say that Doncic has the, you know, just to just even say, Oh, well, Doncic, you know, could go down as the best Maverick ever if he sticks around for 21 years like Dirk. Sure, why not? But uh, this was right after he was drafted. On draft night or the next morning, this dude said, hey, I think Doncic is so good and he performs so well in the Euro League that he's going to be the best Dallas Maverick ever. That's what I didn't like. I was fine. You know, I think that everyone has the right to their own opinion. Sure, you can say whatever. You, you can say Mon is the best European League Euro League player ever. You can say... Dirk's the best year league player ever. I, I don't care. I, you can say LeBron's the GOAT when I think MJ's the GOAT. I, I really don't care. I just was – I was so mad mad at at Maverick fans saying that Doncic was going to be just so great. Like, they made it seem like he was going to be the next GOAT. It, it was just – it was crazy to me. Yeah, upon further evidence, like 30 games in, you, you see it holds a little more weight now when someone says that. But, yeah, I agree. After draft night saying – Oh, he's going to surpass Dirk. Well, Dirk is a top 10 scorer all time. Dirk Nowitzki has an MVP award, a championship, and a finals MVP. So I can't really say if a 19-year-old from Europe is going to do all those things without even seeing him play an NBA basketball Exactly. All right. So I think that's it. First podcast I've done in a while. First time I've talked to Malik in a while. I uh, also have to announce my new permanent co-host. I think you pronounce his name Af- Afnan Wasif. I think he was on your podcast, Malik. Uh, I think it's funny. You guys are probably laughing that I don't even know my co-host's name. But uh, I don't know him personally. 
I've met him through Instagram, through NBA accounts, and we talk some things out. And so I, I've never really heard this dude's voice or anything, but uh, I think I'm pretty, you know, he's, he's pretty knowledgeable. I think I heard him on, I think I remember hearing him on Malik's podcast back in the day now. And Malik, you said that you might be starting up your podcast again, and I'll get, I'll, I'll hopefully get on there. Absolutely. You will be the first guy I call up. We definitely got the chemistry. I call this man Skip when we're not on yeah. the pod together. My man Skip, for those of you that don't know, uh, Skip and Shannon Undisputed. I'm referencing Shannon Sharp calling Skip Bayless Skip with his accent. But yeah, yeah. I will start up my podcast again eventually, and I will um, make sure you guest star. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I'm, I'm excited. So let them know where they can find your Instagram and whatnot. Oh, yeah. So you can find me all lowercase at nothing but net underscore NBA show. That's where I release my NBA content. I keep up with recent NBA news, trades. I give opinions. I drop a top 10 every now and then. I do collabs and. All right, so as you were saying, you were uh, what you do over there on your Instagram page, Malik. Yeah, I was. So I think you guys got it all before the um, audio cut out. My friend called me and interrupted the podcast. So rude of him. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Check out my content. Um, I'll definitely be releasing more that school is out and I don't have to worry about these AP classes. So come check me out. Yeah, for sure. Um and again, you guys can check me out over there soon. I'll promote that. And I'm excited for that. If you don't know, you can find my Instagram at the N one podcast, uh, and on Twitter at the N one podcast, or it's not at the N one podcast. It gave me a username, but if you just type in the N one podcast on Twitter, it pops up same logo. I uh, just made the Twitter. I'll be tweeting a lot more on there. Some, some little snippets, uh, for those of you that don't know why I haven't been posting some NBA content on Instagram, it's just because I just don't have the motivation and I don't really feel like forking out money for an editor. So I don't really know whenever maybe I just get the motivation or find a cool editor that's not charging a whole lot or not charging anything at all. Or I might just pull a bucket center and make my own content and, and make it look pretty mediocre, but you know, maybe not get 57,000 followers, but uh yeah i i had some fun thanks malik for coming on no problem uh maybe we will uh in the future at some point collab for like a permanent pod yeah like we used to and then we stopped that a little bit but motivation uh, is key (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah i think that's it remember follow the instagram and twitter at the n1 podcast go check out malik at nothing but net underscore nba show i believe New podcast coming soon over there and maybe on here. I know my new co-host, like I mentioned earlier, Afton wants to do one. So, yeah. the merch. Oh, yeah, and the merch. So I also have another podcast called The Marco Injury Show. Uh, it's my personal podcast. I talk about my high school uh, sports, mainly football, basketball. Um, I'm more laid back over there, more PG-13 every once in a while. It's pretty funny. It's not as professional as this one, even though this one isn't really that professional or anything. But uh, same just over there, really just talking about my high school. So none of you can relate. I'm pretty sure that I have zero of my uh, first name basis friends watching um, watching that podcast at all. Or I totally lost my train of thought. Anyway, Jesus, you can check out my other podcast at the Marker Injury Show. 
Uh, you can peep the merch. I got real cheap shirts, $13 shirts, $24 hoodies. Pretty cool stuff. Let me know. Give me some recommendations. Give me some feedback on this podcast, uh, everything about it. Let me know what I'm doing wrong, what I'm doing right. If I should make some merch for this podcast even, who knows? Um, but, yeah, I'm excited for what the future has to bring. And, again, leave leave some you – know, DM me on Instagram. DM me on Twitter. Give me some recommendations of what I'm doing bad, what I should do. Any questions, if you ever want a co or a guest on here, no problem with that. Just anything you got to say to get off your chest, let me know in the DMs. It all goes down in the DMs. Again, thank you, Malik, and thank you guys for listening.